You're listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me this Saturday, live every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 4. Uh, hey, we are all still alive after eating bugs last week on the show. Uh, last week I had uh, someone from Entomo Farms on and we were eating crickets. We ate mealworms. I would like to point out that Mike Catherwood, who is the technical producer, cheated a little bit. Mike, want to tell me about that? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> I served, I gave Mike a piece of the uh, cricket grasshopper pie and I asked him how it was. And he said it was really good. And then cricket I, grasshopper mint pie. I grasshopper pie means mint, typically. Uh, so there was actually just ground cricket flour. And then I go into the uh, control room after the show and I notice Mike hadn't really eaten any of his pie. <laughs> I had taken a crumb and I put it <laughs> in my mouth and that was enough for me. But you did try some of the bugs, right? I put one bug, yes. You one put one them. bug in your, well, yeah. uh, Amanda Capito uh, from the newsroom, she actually enjoyed quite a few treats. So we are all still well and uh, I left the rest of that pie in the fridge here at the station and it disappeared. Like people ate it and I think they really, they must have really enjoyed it. So Super Bowl weekend, I think, is it this weekend? I think so. I don't even know who's playing, but I will bet... It is two teams named after animals. Uh, if you're big on the Super Bowl, you can always text in 71010. You can text in during the show as well. Uh, today, we're talking food, MasterChef Canada, and hey, beer, specifically local craft beer. So coming up in the second half of the show, I'll tell you about the growing number of women who really, really know and like beer. And if that's you, or if you're just sort of like curious about craft beer and what some local brews might be, uh, there's a great group of women who put on fantastic events in the city. So I'll tell you about the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies and how you can take part in some of their events, you know, meet like-minded people, sample locally brewed craft beer. And don't worry, guys, you're not totally left out of this. You actually can join. And I'll give you more details about that in the second half of the show. But my first guest is known to many people in the city and across the country. I've got Chef Claudio Aprile here, Origin Restaurant, uh, Order Fire Restaurant Group. That's sort of the umbrella name, I guess, for your restaurants. Yeah, fancy name, I guess. Oh, I'm going to turn your... Oh, there you go. Yeah, kind of a fancy. So you've got Origin St. James, which is downtown. That was the first Origin mm -hmm. restaurant. That's right. And then Origin North, which is up at uh, Bayview Village. That's right. And what is this Trillium restaurant? I don't... You know what? That's not going to be happening now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was on your website. I'm like, I don't yeah, know this. Yeah, that's coming down. Yeah, okay. we, were, we were in talks with the, uh, the airport for quite a while. And, yeah. Uh, that's not going to be uh, occurring anymore. Well, there are challenges to doing stuff at the airport. I've heard that. There sure are. So <laughs> you're also a judge on MasterChef Canada. Third season is kicking off next weekend. So February 14th, um, three seasons already. And you're kicking off on Valentine's Day. That's romantic. It's amazing. It's actually our six-year anniversary at Origin St. James. So is there's it? a lot happening that day. So what, where will you be watching the show? Will you be at one of the restaurants or will you be at home? You know what? I don't like watching it with a lot of people. You don't, so I, huh? I know. I kind of, and I don't, it's an, a very <laughs> odd feeling to just watch yourself on television while other people are watching you watch yourself. It's yeah. It's very kind of creepy <laughs> and weird. looking at you like, let's, do, wait, does he like how he looks in this scene? <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. You can kind of break out into random laughter for things that aren't funny and see what happens <laughs> and see if everyone else follows you. So. Well, you also, uh, like, I mean, you know the, the backstory for a lot of things. So, you know, there might be things that are amusing to you that people haven't quite caught on to yet. So the other judges that are with you, Michael Bonaccini, Avin Long, uh, 
um, I have had the pleasure of having them all on the show, actually. And so Michael and yourself, I know fairly well, I've chatted with you a couple times. I met Alvin once, mm-hmm. and he came in with um, Eric Chung, who was the winner of the first season. So that was when they were sort of launching R&D, their mm-hmm. restaurant on Spadina. Now, I would like to ask you to describe in three words each of those other judges. So, Michael, how would you describe them in three words? Three words? Wow, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, a gentleman. Yes. Um, hmm. That's a really good question. Successful. Mm-hmm. Funny. Very funny. He's funny. He is. He's got a Kinda great dry. sense of humor. <clears throat> I don't know if that. I don't. Yeah, yeah, he's got that British sense of humor. Yes. Yeah. Alvin, what would? Are there three words you would use to describe Alvin? I mean, he calls himself the demon chef, right? I mean, he kind of. <clears throat> Alvin. Alvin's a very. Alvin is like a charred marshmallow. <laughs> he, Do you mean like soft on the inside? Soft, gooey, very, uh, very kind. Yes. Um. But on the outside, he's intense. He's yeah. very intense. That's why he calls himself the Demon Chef. <laughs> um, but he's a great guy. You know, the more you get to know him, you realize just how how generous he is. And, yeah, it's like yeah. a tough exterior in a bit, in a way, right? And that's that's the side that maybe a lot of people see, and they don't get to see the the gooey exterior. I like the charred marshmallow. He's analogy. like the Donald Trump kind of, <laughs> of cooking. He doesn't believe in being politically politically correct. I can't right? even say it. Yeah, um, which I think is great. He's a very honest, uh, very forward type of guy and uh, like dangerously talented. Ooh, dangerously. Um, so now because it's the third season, how have, I'm sure you've noticed that the contestants, the people applying and the people trying out for the show, um, the first season is a bit of a crapshoot, right? You go in a little bit blind, unless you're familiar with the, the series, like just MasterChef, yeah. but to know, but there was no uh, Canadian version of it just yet. So the the trailblazers are the first season contestants. You know, the second season, you know, maybe they have an idea. And then third season, like, what did you notice in terms of um, how the contestants change throughout the seasons? Well, listen, the first season, as you said, they, you know, the home cooks didn't really know what to expect unless they watched the American show. And uh, I have to say that the uh, Canadian contestants are far more advanced than the uh, than the American version. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, well, you know what? We, we, we have such a strong food culture here in this country and it goes from coast to coast. And um, oftentimes, you know, we would be watching the home cooks prepare a dish and we'd be blown away that they could actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so season one was more of kind of the the testing ground. And then season two, those home cooks studied season one. Right. Season three's home cooks studied both season one and two. And you're going to see the results. Now, have you um, have you ever sent someone home during the show, during any of the seasons, and it kind of lingered with you afterwards where you thought maybe it was a mistake? or I mean, it's too late at that point, but... Th- you know, you you send people home with such certainty on the show. So I wonder if afterwards there have been a few times where you've maybe regretted it. I don't think so. You know, the the deliberation process is, is exactly that. It takes a great deal of time. And uh, we, I don't think we've had any real regrets, to be honest with you. Now, it is I'm, what it is. It's fast. It's such a it, fast-paced it show fast. that you don't really have time to have regrets. Right. <laughs> That's like life in your 20s. Yeah. 
<laughs> there's no time for regrets. That's right. um, now on the uh, on the show, and I know there's only so much you can reveal about the the new season. But uh, are there any? Is there any surprise or changes in the in the format? That was like, what is it about this season that you think is a little bit different than the previous two? It's a much faster pace, um, and because of the evolution of the show, and uh, because the season three home cooks have watched the other two seasons, they're more advanced. Oh, I really? Think. And wow. I don't say that in a way to make you know to make season one or season two, you know, not as special or a, a, as not as skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a very quick-paced show. Um, there's only uh, it's a top forty this year, not the top fifty. So we've really trimmed a lot of the fat. And, wow. And if we whittled we whittled it down and really distilled it to forty dynamic cooks. Now um, I'm sure the early rounds are really interesting because, like you said, like you're trimming the fat, so you're mm-hmm. seeing all the people. They're coming in. They're getting a chance to prepare a dish for you. Um, what sort of dishes stick out in your mind, good or bad? Excuse me. Good or bad? I try and forget the bad ones. You know, I don't like to dwell dwell on the negative. But I'm sure that like Um, some people come in and they're so confident or they're really passionate about a a recipe or a dish that they're making you. And then you, it's so terrible that you you almost can't mince words by saying like, this is awful. Don't ever cook it again. I've never been to prison, but I've, I can attest <laughs> that I have eaten some prison food in my life. Um, you know, I have to say that it was the one thing that really stood out for me in, in, in season three. Obviously, the food did stand out, but it was just the sense of classiness that these home cooks had. We would be in a challenge where one of them was going to be leaving the kitchen, the Master Chef Canada kitchen, and they would be sharing products. You know, someone would forget their butter and the other cook would say, here, take my butter. It was so Canadian. I was just um, about to say that is such a Canadian thing to do. Do you like? It was, um, I think, well, you know, I think Canadians, the in thing right now. I mean, um, being nice is in. I don't think being mean spirited is something that we, we have a big appetite for here. Do you find um, a like a noticeable difference between the contestants on the the Canadian version of the show and the U.S. version? I mean, just obviously the U.S. version is as a viewer. But um, in terms of even just of confidence? Um, <clears throat> I think Americans uh, inherently are very confident. I agree um, with that. You know, you see that um, in their politics, uh, in their sports. Um, but I, I, I think Canada's cooler. I think we have... And incredible artists, incredible abilities, incredible chefs in this country. We just don't tell you. We, sh- we show you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that is a, a, the kind of confidence that, that resonates with me, to be honest with you. Now, what does it take for someone to impress you on the show? Like, forget the other two judges, but what, uh, what qualities or what skills make you really notice someone and make them memorable? I, I think what really stands out for me is when the the captain of a team challenge doesn't blame the team they they own it and they take blame and they're willing to really put themselves into an elimination challenge and uh and pay the consequences themselves opposed to pushing someone else on the team that's the kind of person you want in almost um like any work environment like someone who is willing to say that was a huge failure and it was my fault that's just because people yeah. like to blame those under them. It's sort of the easy thing to do. Just own it. People are afraid to admit when they fail. I think that uh, 
I think it's an important attribute, you know, and, and you know, one of the great quotes is, you know, a man's true character comes out in times of adversity, right? Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. My guest in studio is Claudio Perlet, a chef and judge on MasterChef Canada, returning for its third season next Sunday, February 14th. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a bit more about the show and, and a little bit about food in Toronto. And last time you were on the show, we talked about sort of your hidden gems and you had talked about <laughs> some random, tiny little like Asian food place in a strip mall. But I'm wondering Legend. in the year that it's the legend. It was called the legend. <laughs> I'm wondering if the year that's passed, if you discovered something else that you'd like to share with everyone. You're listening to the Pay Chen Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Where opinions are celebrated. The Pay Chen Show on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me. Uh, with me, Chef Claudio Aprile, who is uh, also a judge on MasterChef Canada. And uh, the new season kicks off on February 14th, which is Sunday, Valentine's Day. And uh, Claudio, is there like, is there some sort of preview or something that's happening? Yeah, thanks for asking. There is, actually. There's going to be an online sneak peek at episode one on the 8th, I believe. So I can watch the first episode before most other people. You can. That's exciting. It's going to be great. Now, uh, this the show did very well the first two seasons, and the whole con. You know, I guess we should uh, fill in those who may not be super familiar with the format of the show. But what it is is that you take uh, home cooks. So they're people who uh, I think one of the rules is that you you can't have had professional cooking experience, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. We find basically these diamonds in the rough uh, people that are. Um, in law firms um, that are maybe personal trainers, that are police officers, firemen, et cetera, et cetera, that aspire to be in a kitchen. That's what their dream is. That's what they want to do with their lives. And this is a springboard for them to get into a kitchen and be pushed really, really hard. Well, it's a highly um, stressful environment because I think for the most part, they have an hour to complete what they need to do. And that's usually within an episode before people get eliminated. Sometimes less. Sometimes, yeah, Sometimes you're right. Sometimes less, yeah. Sometimes less. And I look at that and I think, um, I think a lot of professionals would even struggle with some of those time constraints. 100%. I mean, there are there are challenges that we, you know, the, the three of us, Michael, Alvin, and myself will review and we'll, and we'll be like, this is not possible for anyone. <laughs> How are they going to do this? And then it happens. It's, it just blows your mind. And then there's challenges that are seen that that seem very, very innocent and very simple. Might be an egg challenge, but those are very difficult to do because there's nowhere to hide. Right, because I think of it. I think of eggs as like ah, oh, you just have to make an omelet or you just have to cook a sunny side up egg. But I've heard for uh, from a lot of people who work in, who cook and work in kitchens is that sometimes cooking the perfect egg is a huge test of of your skill when you're applying for a job. Yeah, listen, taking you know a, a blank canvas and drawing a perfectly straight line is next to impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, so these these things are interesting because it's the the simple things that many times present the biggest challenge. Well, because it's it can look deceiving, right? When someone makes something look so simple, it's like, yeah, I've got that, but it's it can true. take it takes skill and uh, some talent. Um, now, I always enjoy talking to you about places and food in in the city. And we're at the early part of 2016 when a lot of people have been sharing with me sort of the food trends and what they think is going to be coming up. Um, Maybe like in Canada, North America, but I just like to, I kind of like to focus on Toronto because I think we have, uh, we're quite fortunate to have uh, access to a lot of different kinds of foods and flavors that don't necessarily exist in a lot of other cities in Canada. So I'm curious, uh, is there like a type of food or cuisine that you would like 
to see more of in the city? Like, is there a type of cuisine that you think deserves a spotlight a bit more? Type of cuisine? I think everything's happening right now. Um, every type of, of uh, cuisine is um, is becoming almost gentrified now. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, there's there's really, I think in many ways, Toronto has been ahead of the curve for decades in terms of multiculturalism and the food scene that we have. I mean, um, we, ha we have some of the best Indian restaurants in the world, uh, some of the best Persian restaurants in the world. Our Chinatown is, you know, it's phenomenal. So we've had this now for decades. It's now that we're actually starting to really celebrate it and it's becoming uh, a world-class, you know, um, culinary hub. I think there's um, certain, there, yeah, like you said, like we have Little India, we have all these areas, Greek town, um, and uh, like Portuguese areas that people know of. And then when that sort of bleeds over into the mainstream, like when, you know, like a milestone starts doing fish tacos and you're like, okay, mm. <laughs> then it's suddenly yeah. very, very mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna name the restaurant, but when I when I saw Edison Lights in, in a big box restaurant, I knew that <laughs> something was changing in our city. Um, everything's just getting better. We're getting mm -hmm. better at everything we do in the hospitality industry. Um, I think what what is going to happen is in the next five years, we're going to see a lot more high-end restaurants re-emerging in Toronto. And, um, and I think we need them, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's one in particular that that's that I've been to twice now, which uh, is a shining light. And that's Aloe restaurant. You it's know. a beautiful restaurant. You I've know, been once and it was um, really it's a it's a. Amazing experience. It's a whole experience. Like it's a kind of place where you might go to celebrate a special occasion or a really great date night, for example. Yeah, it's very curated. And we don't have a lot of that happening in the city right now. We need it. I think it's important. And I mean, chefs are very, they're very competitive. Um, we do a lot of things based on ego. And I can see more restaurants like Aloe mm -hmm. popping up through the city. Because um, we, you know, it's it's another form of creativity. And we don't want to be as much as you know these the, the short lists you know the top fifty and Michelin stars you know we like to say they don't really matter, you know secretly they they kind of do matter you know mm -hmm. we, we want to be on those lists as a as a culinary community in the city we don't want to just be known for you know and I and, and I love fish tacos and I love burgers and all, all those things but we don't want to be known exclusively for for street food or for uh, for fast you know casual or premium casual whatever it may be called. We want to be known for something else. Well. Would you ever um, consider one yes. of those fine? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because you had it with Colburn Lane. I had it with Colburn Lane. I miss it. Um, I, I do get a lot of people asking, "When's the next?" Colburn When's the next Lane? Colburn Lane? Yes. And I I feel it's going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I need it. What I, do, personally, what do you, I need to do it. Yeah. What do you miss making, like in the Colburn Lane style, or the more of the fine dining style? I miss the creative process and I, I, I miss cooking food that required a great deal of collaboration and a great deal of innovation. And I'm not, I haven't, you know, I haven't been doing that food in a long time and it's me. That's, that's the, that's the chef that I've mm -hmm. trained to be all my life. I've worked in, you know, some really incredible restaurants through the world, throughout the world. And I don't want to lose that. So I think that's in the cards for me. So maybe in the next few years? Next. I think yes. Yeah, probably a little sooner than that. Like yeah. I'm going to be 50 60. in three years. I you're going to be 50, so you, it will happen before you're 50. Yeah, but I still, I've got the energy of a 25-year-old. Yeah, you I do. Still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely do. Um, well, 
Uh, really appreciate you joining me. And quickly, because you were just saying before the break that the place was called Legends, the restaurant you were talking about. It was when called you... Legends, but I found this other cool place. See, I it knew was that called, in the past year. You must have found Wolf, another. It was called Wolfless Wuffles Cream in Markham, and it took me an hour. Wuffles? and a half. It took my son and I, Aiden and I, an hour, over an hour to find it. We finally oh found God. it. Why, wait, wait, why did it take so long? Is it just the signage isn't The, the signage. Amazing? It's, in, it's, in, it's in, hidden in this little food court. Okay. And it was these two two ladies, two young ladies who were making these waffles and this soft serve ice cream, which was in, incredible. And what I'm doing now is every Sunday, my son and I, we have this thing. It's like a burger brawl or crawl, whatever you want to call yeah. it. But he loves burgers. So I'm we're touring the city and finding a different burger place every every Sunday. So it's, it's that's kinda... pretty how many have you hit up already? Uh we've only started. We we've hit two. We're gonna Okay. I think we're gonna try Wall Burgers uh this Sunday. Oh yeah? Well it's just around the corner from here. Exactly. Maybe uh <laughs> I was saying maybe you'll find Mark Wahlberg there. No, you won't. But that's all right. But Wuffles Wuffles. Wuffles and cream. It's uh yeah. Wuffles sounds to me like it is probably um like a dog grooming parlor, but it's good to know it's not. Maybe it is. <laughs> no, it's, it was. It was, it was great. good. Oh, okay. Was well, see now, I'm adding that to my list. That mixture of hot and cold and just yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, sounds good. So, Master Chef Canada season three debuts next Sunday on uh, the 14th on CTV. After the break, ladies who love beer, even if you aren't sure actually if you do love beer just yet, you might want to find out more about local brews and hang out with some people who share your interests. I've got the perfect group for you. You're listening to the Pay Chen Show here on. In-depth radio news talk 1010, taking a quick break. Back after this. More with Pei Chen on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Now, when you think of a group of people who really know and who really love beer and get together to have a good time and drink a couple of brews, you may not always picture a room of a hundred or so women chatting over locally brewed craft beer. But five Toronto women are changing the beer scene with events that are geared towards ladies who enjoy or want to explore the local craft beer world in a safe and uh, welcoming atmosphere. So they're called the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies, self-explanatory. They host events once a month and they also uh, also use the gatherings as a way to fundraise for a women's charity. So Renee Navarro is in studio with me. She is one of the five women who started the society. Um, you are a, is it your beer sommelier in training? Yeah. So I've done Prudhomme level one, which is the beer enthusiast level. That's kind of a fun title. It's kind of amazing. It's... <laughs> How many levels are there? Uh, there's four. So what's the next level? I don't remember. What, I don't think that the second one has such a great name. I it's feel like, like, you know, what, it's like beer drinking level two. Because yeah. <laughs> just a beer enthusiast level one is like, that's kind of a cool title. Yeah. And you also get to drink beer while you're doing the course. So. Where do you do this course? Um, it's held in different spots Yeah, uh, around the city. It's at different breweries. Okay. And I happened to do mine when I was working at Great Lakes. And I was doing it at like 1030 in the morning. You were doing a beer course at 10.30 in the yeah, morning? Yeah, which, you know, I realized... like mistake, scheduled that? Well, <laughs> yeah, mistakes were made. Um. <laughs> That's am- So I didn't, you know, it makes sense to me now that I say it, but I didn't really think uh, that many people were beer sommeliers. It's something we really strongly associate with wine. Yeah, I, I think over the past few years, it's really becoming a thing that people are like, I'm really interested in this. Um, it's, you know, I've got a bunch of friends who are doing it... Uh, Erica Campbell, who's one of the women, uh, one of the, the five organizers, she's been doing it. Jamie Dobbs is doing it. Uh, Crystal Luxmore has done it. Uh, so, there, I mean, there are a bunch of women who are doing it. There's also the Cicerone program. 
The what? Program? Cicerone, which is also beer. Okay. And it's it's also it's uh, it's the international version. So Prudhomme is Canadian based. Oh, okay. So now for someone to want to be a beer sommelier, what what's the reason for wanting to do it? Is it because you hope to uh, work more in the beer industry, or just because you want to? glean all of that information? I think it's probably a bit of both. I mm -hmm. mean, I've worked in beer for three years now. So so for me, it's it's kind of a work thing. So I know more and I'm able to to pair it with food instead you know of just that, be like, here, have a beer. Yeah. You know that when you say you've been working in beer for a couple of years, you just made a lot of people very jealous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah. So now let's talk about the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies. You just celebrated your second anniversary. Yep. So congratulations. Thank you. Uh, you hold events, which you called bevies, yep. uh, once a month, which is actually quite often and that's uh, that's quite a bit of work and planning. Yeah, and we keep it secret. So we actually don't announce the location until about 48 hours before. So how it works is people would buy a ticket which I believe are $25. Yep. Yeah, and okay. they go on they go on sale 2 weeks before. So they go on sale 2 weeks before because the events take place uh with like the end of the month? Last Friday. So we had our birthday bevy was the 29th of January, which was mm -hmm. the last Friday of the month. Okay. And then 2 weeks before Tickets are sold. But when people buy the ticket, so they're like, here's my $25. I want to come to the next bevy. Um, they don't know much about it when they're buying the ticket. No, they don't. They, I, I think, you know, after all this time, people are starting to trust us a lot more. Okay. Uh, at the, like, at the beginning, know. they were like, yeah, where am I going to end up? I don't know that I want to give you my money just yet. It's just <laughs> you're just telling me to give you 25 bucks, but you're not telling me where it is, what I'll be drinking. Um, so it's a surprise. And then you let people know a couple of days before. But I saw on your website that you that the venues are typically uh, TTC friendly. They're so. always we always aim that they're TTC friendly. That's the mm -hmm. biggest thing. Safety is key. I mean, you know, it's it's a bunch of women walking around. A lot of people are coming by themselves, um, oh, and really? it's it's become such an inclusive thing that people really do want to come by themselves because mm -hmm. they make a lot of friends. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Now, why did you start the society to begin with? Uh, it was Erica who started it, mm -hmm. and it was really going to be a group of, so it was the five of us, kind of doing something for women in the industry where we could hang out together and have a few drinks. So you just, just thought it would be a group of friends? Yeah, like we a really. Dozen or so uh, friends? Yeah, I mean, we were thinking, you know, it was going to be like 30, 40 people mm -hmm. max, and we'd host it at Jamie's house, and uh, we, did, we did tickets on Eventbrite, and uh, we forgot to close the Eventbrite link, and people started talking about it, and we oh. ended up selling 110 tickets. By well, accident. that's a lot of people in the living room of someone's yeah, condo. Yeah, so, so obviously we had to turn around and find a, a location. <laughs> now, I, I guess when you started it, uh, and like you said, it was sort of a way to get friends who like beer together. You're like, hey, you know what? Let's get some people together, hang out, you know, enjoy some craft brew. Um, but the reason to keep it going was what? Like, I guess you would have got some feedback from people. Yeah, it's um, when we first did it, it was kind of the novelty of it. Like, wow, a bunch of women get to go and hang out together and talk about beer and try different beer. Um, it wasn't one of those things where it's like you have to know beer and you have to be a beer snob about it. It was really you want to go somewhere safe. You want to hang out with a bunch of people. and You just want to try things mm -hmm. because it's not about I only drink this kind of beer. It's I'm, I'm interested in trying something and I just want to talk to people and make friends. And that's what our whole component's always been. And then we started to do the charitable aspect, which is the Canadian Women's Foundation. So uh, with each event, you do donate a portion of ticket sales uh, yep. to the charity. And I read that it's at least $600 yep. per event that you donate, right. which is really quite lar a large sum if you're not if your event is like 100 people or so. Yeah. So for 2015, we donated almost $7,000. That's amazing. Um, why did you choose that charity? Um, they are fantastic. They do a lot. So they, they uh, work to... And sex trafficking, they help women find education and housing. And it's one of those groups that's all-encompassing. Mm -hmm. So it's not just we only do this one piece. Um, and just 
you know, they're they're a fantastic group and they gave us thumbs up. So uh, walk me through what an event might be like. I'm someone and I, and I told you this when I contacted you uh, about coming in. I said, look, I don't I don't drink a lot of beer. I don't know a lot about beer. It's not my go to beverage by any means, but uh, I'm open to things. So if I'm one of the people that, because a, a name like the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies, I think, oh, these are people who really know their stuff. So what what is an average, a typical event like, one of your bevies? What can we expect? Oh man, I don't know if I could call it average. Um, so our birthday bevy, which was mm-hmm. just a week and a half ago, had 250 women. Wow. And they were of all differing sizes, shapes, sexualities, um, levels of beer knowledge. Okay, so people, that's good. You know, so you, so you have people who, who say, I only drank PBR and I came because my friend told me I'd have a fun time. Right. And so we can say, okay, we'll give you something that's the equivalent to it, but it's a craft beer mm-hmm. version. Because, again, we're, we're only doing craft beer. That's something to, to note. So you're supporting, like, all the local breweries. Yeah. Like the small craft beer makers. And a lot of the stuff is not available at the LCBO. So there's the draw, too. Is like if you yeah. kind of like craft beer or if you're into what's being made locally – this is a great way to go and try it out. Yeah, and we also have a bevy brew that's made specially for us. Oh, what do you mean? So each Does it month, taste like Cosmos? It tastes better. <laughs> it tastes so much better. Because we were joking beforehand that like a lot of drinks are targeted towards men or women. And the the ones that tend to be targeted towards female tend to be like the sweet, bright, fruity Uh The drink. last one we had was, it was called Thai PA. Mm-hmm. And it was done by Reinhard. And it had some tropical notes to it. Uh, did it in cask, and so you and I talked about cask earlier, which know. is yeah, so which is is less carbonated. So it's okay. it's not a fizzy drink per se. It's in uh, a cask, so a, a cask engine, and it's it's a little smoother. Mm-hmm. So people who are like, I don't like carbonation, doing oh, okay. doing cask beer is a really great thing. It's kind of a, a nice option for them to get into it, right? Um, so yeah, so every month we have a special one-off done for us, and then once it's done, it's done. It never comes back. But can people buy it to take home, or can nope. you only drink it there? You can only drink it there. Oh, okay. So now tell me about, uh, so at, at an event, and like you said, there's no, like, they're not all the same. So uh, when you're there, how many different brews are there to to try or, or choose from? We usually have about a dozen rotating through Whoa. the night. Yeah. And it's uh, it's usually 30-liter kegs, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a 58, so the big ones. Uh, and it's, you know, you'll have about six on at a time, and as they blow, we just switch them up. And all our, our bartenders are volunteers, so we call them volunteers. <laughs> and uh, they they all know what they're talking about. So everyone shows up, they go through all the beer, and they're able to say, okay, what kind of beer do you normally drink? You should try this. Uh, this one is super special because we've never had them in a, you know in Toronto at all. And it's just it's such a warm, welcoming piece. I mean, you know, so Jen, who's one of the members, does the music. I'll do photos. Magenta is is our mouthpiece. And does the speech and reminds everyone, you know, where your money goes and thanks for coming out and introduces all of us. Uh, Erica does the sourcing of the beer and does a fantastic job of it. Jamie runs our swag shop and does a lot of our online stuff and all the ticket content. And just, I mean, the five of us, you know. It's... Well, it's become, uh, I'm sure, a part-time job for, oh, totally is. for all of you. But yeah. when you started it, you're like, let's just get together this and have gonna some beer. This is going to be super easy. It's going to be a bunch <laughs> of women hanging out. How hard could it be? Why, why keep doing it? Uh, because it's fantastic. It's There's this feeling. It's electric. You walk into a room and, you know, we've done this setup and we've worried about it and we've had our meetings and and you get it and you think, I really hope this is going to work. And you have a bunch of women walk in and say, I've never seen anything like this before. Oh, that's nice. And yeah. And you'll have the woman who came alone who says, well, my friends don't drink beer. And I said, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go and I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, she's sitting talking to 20 different women. And she's like, oh, my God, we already have plans to go hang out. (laughs) 
And That's great. Yeah, you know, so you end up with these people who become best friends mm-hmm. and they go to the bevies all the time and now they're real friends. It's not just, I met you at a beer thing. Well, it was now they ha- they share they share a common interest. Yeah, exactly. And one that maybe their other friends don't share. So it's nice to be able to have that community. Yeah. And uh, Renee is going to stick around. We're going to tell you more about the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies. Uh, for those who know about beer and for those who know nothing about beer but might just want to try something new. And uh, before you think that men are not welcome, they are. We'll tell you about that after the break. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show. You can always catch podcasts online, paychen.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at paychen. We're taking a quick break here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. This is The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. We're talking uh, the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies. So, as you can imagine, it's uh, there are events that are held every month in the city that welcome women of all levels of beer interest and knowledge. Uh, they have events that uh, usually... I guess sample about, uh, Renee, you're saying about a dozen different... Yeah, at least a dozen. Yeah? And then we've just uh, we've started doing cider in the last couple of months. Oh. Yeah, so for I people who like are cider. like, I'm not huge into beer, but I like cider. That is exactly my quote. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Renee Navarro is with me. She's one of the five Toronto women who started this uh, this group, this society, and you just celebrated your two-year anniversary. And when you first started, it was just a way to get friends and people who, who liked to drink craft beer together. Yeah. And since then, it's grown to uh, monthly events that you have uh, uh, around Toronto, right? You keep it yeah, in the city? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, it's all in the city. And your last event, which you had at the end of January, had 250 women there. It was our birthday party. It was one heck of a party. So 250 women. Now, I, I guess the question for you is, why did you feel there was a need to start a, a beer group society that was female-focused? Um, I go to a lot of beer festivals. Because mm-hmm. I love beer. You love beer. Um, and you're also training as a beer sommelier. Yeah. And and part of the, the problem, air quotes problem, um, is that you go and if it's you and a female friend, so I'd go with my wife and guys would come up and be like, oh, two girls together. This is weird. <laughs> and you'd be like the unicorn of the party because women don't go by themselves to festivals. Uh, and so it was this weird thing where you were kind of invisible, but you were also kind of that weird draw. Right. Um, and so I think we, we just wanted something where women could go and try beer and be like, I don't understand this or I don't like this and not feel judged. Or I really like this, but I can't go to a festival by myself because... They might feel intimidated. Well, sometimes when you are at an event where you know that the people around you know a lot about that particular product, you can feel a little shy or intimidated to ask questions because you don't want to come off as um, sounding stupid or sounding silly. Yeah, and I, I think with with regular festivals, and, and not to knock them, they're, they're great festivals, it's just I wouldn't go by myself. I would always go with a group of people. Have you now? Have you noticed um, the way that beer, which has been largely a male-dominated product industry, and it's usually uh, targeted towards uh, men, um, have you noticed a shift in the way that they're marketing their product or creating their product? Some of the marketing, yes. Mm-hmm. Some of it, there's still huge missteps. Uh, Robin LeBlanc, um, who is the uh, the thirsty wench, wrote a great article. For in, inherent vice, for, is that like for, a nickname of hers? Or she—that's that's her handle, and or, she was oh, on, online. Okay, so I'm yeah. like, are you just calling her a thirsty wench? No, no, sure. she's fantastic. Um, she wrote for the Torontoist, kind of about mm-hmm. you know these these beer labels 
that still show up. They're kind of the 1960s, 1970s mm-hmm. pinup styles. Yes. Um, and, and how some of that, you know, they think it's tongue in cheek, but it's this weird thing where it's like, no, women are really getting into beer mm-hmm. and women are becoming a huge market. And if I see that on a can or a poster, I'm not going to buy your product. Right. Like, you need to remember that I'm going to buy it and I'm going to turn around and tell all my friends about it. It's a, it's a missed opportunity for some if yeah, they're not realizing uh, what a growing, um, I guess, growing audience there is for beer with women. But mm-hmm. I would like to mention, too, though, even though your events are very open and, and inclusive of women who, with all knowledge or lack of, of beer, uh, you do actually welcome men at some point. Yes. Uh, <laughs> men are welcome after midnight when we were doing our Halloween bevies. Mm-hmm. So the last two fell pretty much Friday and Saturday. Uh, guys, were welcome after 10. Right. So we are we are open to it because um, I know when we first started talking about it, we really got a lot of questions about, well, you know, you don't want men there. And it was like, no, 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 it's. We want women to have a space for a period of time, and guys are welcome. This is not, a, you know, no men allowed. Right. Um, and, I mean, a few guys will show up at midnight. It's usually boyfriends and husbands. Okay. Um, but last last bevy, there were there were quite a few guys who showed up later. See, what I think is, if, there, if, I, if I was a single guy who loved beer and wanted to find a woman who shared my interest, I would be at your door at midnight <laughs> and I'd be waiting because I would know that inside, you know, single or not, and like my technical producer, Mike Catherwood, is waving his hand because he's like, it's, would this be... Sounds like a hell of a time. Is this a draw for you, Mike? Like a room full of women who love beer. As soon as you said that it's open to men at midnight, like, wow, like this is... He said, that, he's setting his alarm. Idea. He's setting yeah. his alarm for the next bevy. But I, because, you know, to, to have someone who shares that interest and that enthusiasm, you're like... Okay, inside, I know it's all women right now. Some single, maybe not. But I would totally, I'd I'd be there. It's funny because guys show up thinking that same thing and then suddenly they're like, oh, Oh, these women are all talking about beer and they all sound really knowledgeable and oh, this is not what I expected. Well, then they should go with the... um, I guess with the, the foresight, knowing that they might have to have some intelligent conversation. Yes, and there's going to be a really great dance party in between. That, Are there that happens. Parties? Yeah, it's always. It breaks into like a fantastic dance party. Whoa. Yeah. So now the beers um, that you serve there, we mentioned that they're all local brews. And I, because I'm not super in the beer scene, I didn't realize, truthfully, how many local breweries there are. There are a lot. I think it's going to take us a really long time to get through but, all so of them. So do you do, is it, when you say local, do you mean only Toronto or only Ontario? Ontario? We're okay. doing Ontario. All right. So right now, um, so we did Rebel Cider. We did Black Swan Brewing, which is in Stratford. Um, we've had Left Field, which is in Leslieville. Um, Great Lakes, Kensington Brewing, uh, Collective Arts, Black Oak, which is I in... just had no idea they existed. Yeah, there's there's a ton. It's... Now, um, so this is a great opportunity, like, like I was saying, if you're kind of having these exclusive tastings in a way because it's unlikely you could go to another event where you get to sample so many great local brews. Yep. Um, now, when you first started the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies and you were approaching people about uh, having their beer at your event, what was the reaction like then versus now when you've had a bunch of events under your belt and people know about you? Well, now you can turn around and say, you know, we've had like 1,800, 2,000 women come through and drink our beer. <laughs> um, so it makes it an easier pitch. Mm-hmm. When when we first started, I think they were kind of like, yeah, sure, you can have our beer. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, you know, I, I managed to get, I, Erica usually does it. I talked to someone and I said, look, your beer is going to get in front of 250 women in a night. How do you say no to that? Yeah. 
Like it's really hard. I mean, Erica uh, does amazing amount of legwork to get these, and she's she's talking about kegs like months down the road. So it's a lot of. I mean, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that comes through is fantastic, and a lot of it you can't find anywhere. So if I were to go to an event and I tried a beer that I really, really loved, is it a beer that I could buy somewhere else? Or? There's a possibility that you could see it later on down the road. Uh, we had uh, some kegs from the McKinnon Brothers, and it was great because two months later I was in a bar and they said, oh, you know, we've just got this and it's brand new. And I was like, ah, been there, done that. We had it at the <laughs> Bevy two months ago. So sometimes I feel like we're almost the test group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then they know, okay, these women will drink it. Like, let's roll it out. So it's, it's become that. So there's this kind of exclusivity where you go to the bevy and you know that, yes, this will show up at some point, but you can say, ah, I've been there. I had it a couple months ago. You really do get a preview of the product. Yeah, you do. You really do. Now, what do you say to women who, uh, like myself, for example, where I say, uh, I don't know that I really like beer very much. That, uh, what, what do you say? Not that it's a sales pitch, but you're sort of like, I'm on the fence because my, my belief fun. Yeah. But... My belief is that there is a beer for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this Yes, we're about beer, but we're also about building a community and building a safe space. There's fantastic food. We have different food vendors come through every month. Oh, that's fun. There's fantastic music playing. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So it's not just a bunch of women standing there being like, I drank a beer. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of women standing with plastic cups. All is, staring at each other like we're in a fun. school gym. <laughs> uh, no, like people are dancing around and they're talking to each other. And it's just, it's a really welcoming atmosphere mm-hmm. where there happens to be great beer. Um, now that we've included cider, and, you know, and, and you can either go and buy a full glass of beer or you can buy a taster. Oh, okay. And so the great thing is we also, um, Jamie does up all the, the printouts of what the beer is. So, you mm-hmm. know, you know who so it's you from. So you know you're there. You yeah. know your percentage and you know what the flavor profile is supposed to be like. So with your $25 ticket, what do you get? So you will get entry to the event. Mm-hmm. You'll get your first bevy beer on us. Okay. And then a portion of that ticket goes to uh, the Canadian Women's Foundation. And then once you're there, what is uh, how much the beers cost you? Uh, you're looking about six dollars, mm-hmm. uh, three dollars for a, a sampler, and then food usually runs about five to eight dollars. And again, it's different vendors. They'll it's uh, they'll usually have a vegetarian or vegan option. And then for the carnivores out there like me, there is a meat <laughs> option. Always a meat option. There's always a meat option. Now, so your uh, your next event is there st- still room? Uh, for people to sign up for that one? Yeah, tickets will be going on sale shortly. Um, this one is a big one for us. It's going to be something different. Can you give me a few more hints? No. Oh. It'll be on the 26th of February. Mm-hmm. That's your hints. Uh, tickets will be on sale in <laughs> about a week. Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's it's going to be different. The next two bevies are, we're, I'm, we're pretty stoked about the next two. They're going to be big for us. They'll be downtown. And then uh, big in, in terms of number of attendees. Is that what you mean? Uh, no, Things that are different. We're really starting to think outside of that proverbial box. But there will be at least, uh, what, a dozen different uh, new-ish beers to try. Yep. Oh, for sure. Okay. There will always be something different. All right. So tickets will be going on sale for that pretty soon. So, yep. so you can any- go to ladiesdrinkbeer.com, mm-hmm. and you can go there, or you can go to Eventbrite. We'll always link back to it. And then, so you buy the ticket, you know that you're going, you get the mm-hmm. date, and then you just wait for the email to come a few days before the event to tell you, like, all of the details. Yeah, exactly. It is a bit like a secret society. It's totally a secret society, except <laughs> everyone knows about it. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> except we are kind of talking about it on the yeah. radio, and there have been a couple of articles about you that exist already. Uh, yeah. Well, it sounds like fun, and I want to thank you because you brought me a hat, which I really enjoy. So you have a lot of swag, There's which tons of swag. It's very popular. And you brought me uh, a nice beer as well, Kensington Homegrown Porter. Shout out to work. work. I, don't, I don't know what that means, though, a porter. 
Uh, so it's a darker beer uh, that has really nice dark chocolate notes and a little bit of a coffee finish. I like chocolate and See, coffee. See, there you go. Whammo. You're going to love it. I am going to love it. <laughs> Renee, thank you so much for joining me today. So again, if you want to find out more information or to buy tickets, ladiesdrinkbeer.com. Uh, thanks to Mike Catherwood, my technical producer, who I believe is on the website right now and is going to be showing up at midnight. Thank you so much, Renee. Have a great weekend, everyone. And uh, I'll be back next Saturday. Paychen.com for the podcast and at Pei Chen on Twitter and Instagram.